0: you might have it on your phone or there in your lap. And uh, open to Ephesians chapter 4. We won't be there for a bit, but we will look at it. We will read sort of a, a chunk of a passage together a little bit later. And um, I just want to begin by saying welcome to Calvary Chapel where we are committed to helping you find your place in God's story. I, I saw Billy ask how many of you were here with us um, last weekend. If you joined us last weekend, Easter weekend, to celebrate sort of Jesus' victory over that adversary that we considered the devil, death, and hell, you know the title. Of course, you just saw the little bumper and the purpose of the sort of post Easter message. The title of the message is Prologue, and the idea is to sort of provide, and this is more of a talk really than a teaching you should know now, but uh, I'll take you back to the definition of a prologue and then share in a moment wh- why. We're taking this sort of post-Easter message to cast a little vision going forward. Uh, Cambridge defines the prologue this way. A part could be a piece of text, could be a speech like today. Uh, today's speech won't be as short as Easter's, um, but a, a speech that comes at the beginning of a play, a story or a long poem, often giving information about events that happen before the time that the play, the story or the poem begins. I highlight story in the definition because it's just true that God likes stories. He likes to tell stories. We've got the scriptures before us now just filled with all kinds of historical and allegorical, metaphorical, uh, parabolic and poetic stories. Stories that were meant to more than just entertain mankind but to train and teach mankind about the very most important things in life. In fact, from a purely... um, literary standpoint some believe that the greatest short story in all the world is found in the Bible the story of the prodigal son so God's not only the greatest storyteller he's the greatest author of truly great stories he is after all the world's all-time best author with the world's all-time best seller somebody sent this to me Yesterday, uh, about the Bible, I'll I'll just share with you. Even today, which is beautiful to think, 50 Bibles are sold every minute, 3,000 every hour, 72,000 every single day. 72,000 Bibles are sold every day. 26 million Bibles, even today, are sold every single year. God's got a book out. It's good. It's a good book. He is the all-time greatest author of the all-time bestseller, the Bible, but in reality, though, the scriptures are complete. That is, nothing can be added to the word of God. There's no more divine revelation in the inerrant, God breathed, inspired sense. It is, however, true that though God has ceased from writing, his story has not ended. The story continues. And though it's true that God rested on the seventh day after creation, from creation all the way to the cross. And since then, he has been tirelessly working in what we would call his recreation story. That story continues worldwide and in the hearts of men even to the present day. This church is a part of the story of God. My, my life, my marriage, my family is a part of the story of God. You here who know Jesus are a part of the family of God. And if you're, excuse me, the story of God, and if you're part of the story of God, this epic unfolding story of God, you've got a part to play. There's something that God designed for you to do and to be. And the leadership of this church is committed to helping you find your place in God's story. So the purpose of the talk today is essentially to provide a a prologue of what's coming ahead in the unfolding story of God here and, and the part that you may play in that. To give a little context of the past. Over the last couple of years, the you know as we've gone through what we've gone through over the last couple of years, so many of you are, you've sort of you fled from other parts of the country. There, there's just this new group of people that are not altogether aware of sort of who we are and where it is that we're heading. So we're going to provide a little context of the past and how it relates to the story God's writing through Calvary Chattanooga and your life going forward. And to do that. I want to tell some stories, and I want to tell the stories, and I'll take our time sort of in three segments, and that is the the ethos, the ethic, and the end result. The ethos, sort of the set of moral beliefs, attitudes, and habits that are characteristic of a person or a group. So in this first sort of segment, you'll get a little bit of a snapshot of the DNA of this church, its leaders, and I'll begin by saying this. It's kind of how it all began. God used someone in a healthy church to call me into the epic story of God. I grew up in a Baptist church with wonderful parents who pointed me in the way of Jesus. But for all of their love and their leadership and all the efforts of that church, in my early years, I was a prodigal son with a prodigal heart. I loved darkness more than light, and I chased darkness until it about killed me. I heard recently of an enemy who will stop at nothing until he meets the God who cannot be stopped. And I needed the God who cannot be stopped on my behalf to help me stop the destructive life I was living. So fast forward a little bit, I'm in college. I met a man, I met Pastor Kenny. He wasn't Pastor Kenny then. He had the nickname Beach. He was from South Florida. This little surfy, skinny guy, played on the football team. He hung out with the football players. He invites me down to South Florida to his home to an Easter service, sunrise Easter service, on the beach. And uh, the gospel was preached. Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, Easter 1990, the sun's rising, the gospel's being preached. Beach, Kenny, at the altar call, leaves the crowd, goes forward. Hundreds of people go forward right then and there, and they're baptized. Kenny come, comes up out of the water. He looks at me and he goes, what about you, Frankie? And I'm like, look, Friday Night Frank is not ready for, I, mean, I, I grew up in church. I know the decision you just made and I'm not, I don't want to make that decision. I love darkness, not light. And what you just did was a light thing and, 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 and the Lord thing. No, maybe next year. And so for the next year from 90 to 91, I chased darkness with everything that I've got. 91 rolls around, lo and behold, Kenny asks me back to the 1991 Easter service. Well, from Easter 90 to Easter 91, we were both in the same business. He was prospering, and I was floundering. And I'm trying to make sense of it. And so I think to myself, it's got to be this Jesus thing. Jesus has got to be the reason why the guy's financially blessed. And I've done all kinds of stupid things for money. I'll get wet. I could get wet. I could get wet. I can do it. I saw him do it last year. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen. I can do this. So I go, into the, I go forward at the altar call. I get into the water. I get baptized. I come out of the water. Essentially like, God oh, bless me, God. Bless me now. I'm ready. I got, I got what he got. I, got you know, I did the thing. I got dunked. <clears throat> Remember the little parable in the Bible? The parables are these short stories. God loves stories. short stories teaching spiritual lessons. Listen to this. It depicts me then. When an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it passes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Well, then it says, it says, I will return to the house I left. And on its return, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and they dwell in the house. And the final plight of that man is worse than the first. I left Fort Lauderdale Beach, Easter 1991, like that man. I sort of cleaned things up, took a little outside spiritual bath. But the God who cannot be stopped did not come to live in the house. And for the next year or more, from Easter 1991 to Christmas Eve 1992, the demons came, they came in droves, and all the darkness they'd bring As well. Folks, repentance is the precondition in which the God who cannot be stopped comes in like a flood. Easter 1991, I came to God on my terms in arrogance and self will. Christmas Eve 1992, on an airplane, I came to Him on. His terms and repentance and contrition and like begging God for mercy because I recognize now, oh my God, I am a sinner bound by sin. The stuff that I don't want to do, I can't stop doing to my own destruction. David said it this way, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, then I said, here I am, I have come, I desire. And for me, it's like, I desire now. After eating the pig slop, the pods of this world, I desire now to do your will, oh God. I'm done with mine because my will is destroying my life. Folks, it's true. Your story begins the day you're born. Well, your story begins the day you're conceived because scripture makes it very, very, very clear that you and I are knit together, fearfully made inside our mother's womb. But as far as we're concerned, our story begins the day we're born. But listen, God's story... We don't join God's story until the day we're born again. Then it all, then things change. Everything changes then. then. Then our eyes are open, our hearts are soft, and we begin to sort of embark on this journey where we, we, we begin to discover what, who we are and from where, where did we come from and what it is that God actually has for us and the part that he wants to play I have a philosophy by observation on life. To me, it's sort of this simple. Life philosophy. Life is either drudgery or discovery. Drudgery or discovery. That is, if, if all of life is up to you, you'll be left in this sort of state of drudgery. But if you'll leave your life in his hands, then there is this life of discovery because it is true that you are, you are the workmanship in Christ Jesus. God, God actually made you. You're a poem, to speak of stories. You're a, you a masterpiece in Christ that was created to do things that God made in advance for you to do. So life is either drudgery, if it's going to be it's up to me, or it's discovery. Wow, I think I was made by God for something for something divine. What I want to be when I grow up really isn't the greatest question. The greater question by far is, what, who, who am I and what has God made me to be? Far greater question with, with supremely more uh, wonderful potential outcomes. That is, if life is all about what we can create, well, then as good as it gets and as, and as good as you can make it, and some do quite well. Elon Musk has done all right, right? Richest man in the world. Even still, his life, his accomplishments pale in comparison to the life that God can create. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Even Twitter, (laughs) where he forfeits his own soul. And I hope he gets it, personally. (laughs) Folks, because you can never find your place in God's story without hearing the gospel, you just need to know that Calvary Chapel will always be a place where we will, with everything we've got, increasingly with no apologies at all, and no matter how unpopular and unpalatable it becomes, you will hear the gospel here. Because the most important thing about you is not who you think you are or what you are. It's what God says you are. So the story, God's story, starts with salvation as far as we're concerned. But because God's far more committed to us finding our part and playing that part than we are... This new life that begins as we sort of are swept up into the epic story of God at the moment that we are born again, this new life is sort of hardwired with a new family where this new life can be nurtured and strengthened and, and, uh, and developed. God wants saved folks, surrounded and supported, so we can not only find our place but be equipped and trained to play Part. This, of course, is the role of the church. So the ministry the, the ministry, the ministry of the local church of Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, where I heard the gospel. And I heard the gospel growing up over and over again for sure. Where I heard the gospel and where someone who was supported and surrounded in, in college, Kenny, invited me into God's story. And that local church is where I discovered my part in the story of God and was largely trained to play that. So that's essentially sort of piece one here, sort of the DNA, the, the ethos of Calvary Chapel. God uses changed people to ch- hurt people hurt people, changed people God uses to change people. A person belonging to a healthy church showed and shared the gospel with me and invited me into God's story. I then grew surrounded and supported in the, in the, in the, in the, in the comforts and the sort of cradle, we might say, of that local church and discovered my place, which led my wife, pregnant wife at the time, and I to, to Chattanooga in the spring of 2000. We planted this church 22 years ago. If, if you're unaware of the story, and I'll just belabor just for one second, depending on your understanding of church planting and how this church started, when we moved here, the two of us, it was she and I, and she was pregnant with our first, and there was no church, no small group, no money, no building, no, nothing, nothing. It is true that God still speaks and creates something out of nothing. Here we come. Nothing. We planted the church 22 years ago. And I'd like to share just sort of a 30,000-foot flyover of the last 20 and two years with you. And I really do see our history this way. There was, the, there was the first 20 and then the last two. I see it like that. I think I lived 20 years in the last two. Some of you are like, yeah, by the looks of you, I think you did. But... Uh, <laughs> I was here two years ago. What happened to him? <laughs> but as we set out from here after the last two years, I want to share with you now sort of the second piece of this, and that's the ethic. That the beliefs that control our behaviors, our activities, or describe our efforts over the last 22 years. And these are the things that we've committed ourselves to some discipline, some, some behavior, some activities. You find them in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. I think it have it on the screen. It's from the very first church. The first church is about 120 people in the upper room when the day of Pentecost comes. Peter stands up and preaches and the church grows to over 3,000. 3,000 people are converted. That's the first church. And they, that first church, they devoted themselves to a few things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, praising God, prayer, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord Added to their number daily those who are being saved. So growing up in my faith or beginning to grow in my faith at Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale was a truly wonderful grace. But when God calls a man to start another church, it may not look exactly the same as the one from which he came. You know, when Jesus performed miracles, even even the same miracle, you know, he when he went to heal the blind. He didn't heal exactly, did the same thing, but he didn't heal exactly the same way each time. And I was convicted that you could hardly improve upon what this early church devoted themselves to. Like if what the first church devoted themselves to was as fruitful as it was, I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, to me it seemed only wise to sort of pattern or or, or model a local church after it. This is the foundation, I would say, Of Calvary Chapel and what it is that we've committed ourselves. We used to call this the four W's. How many of you are around when we used to, we'd have the four W's. Word, Apostles Doctrine, Worship, Witness, Community, Fellowship, and Witness. I mean, these are the, like, we we were going to build the church on these pillars, and we were going to do a few things the very best we possibly could, and, and that's what we've done essentially For 22 years. A little bit later, we took those those nouns, word, worship, witness, and witness, and sort of changed them into same idea, same principle, but just these are the things that we're doing, reading God's word, investing his resources, surrounding ourselves with his people, and engaging our role with God's love. That was used to see rise all over the building and all. So for, for, for 22 years, we sort of devoted ourselves to these things and largely to these things only. So beginning with the word, this is a place if you are unaware, that is completely committed to the teaching of the Word of God. Today is a little bit more of a teaching from the Word of God, um, but, but you know we're, we're right now, next week, we'll be in John chapter 15, and we have taught every single word of John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way to chapter 15. We've got six more chapters to go. We place an extraordinarily high emphasis upon the teaching of the Word of God. Of God, We are the people of faith, and the Bible teaches me that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we grow and our faith grows by a knowledge of that which is true. What did Jesus say? Father, sanctify them. Set them apart. Strengthen them by by the truth. Your word is truth. It's in God's word that we learn who he is and who we are. And Who our adversary is, what it is that we face, the world, the flesh, the devil, Uh, what's our adversary like, the devil, what does he like to do, where are we from, where are we going? In fact, it's God's word that teaches us what the church is. And I think as we pause here just for a moment before we go forward together into the future, maybe good just to pause here and define what the church is. We say this often, right? Where where did you go this weekend? I went to church. And in our minds, we think we came this weekend. You came to Calvary Chapel. You came to the building. You came to the property. And we think, naturally, I went to church. I went to the place. But you know that biblically, the church isn't a place, but it's a people. It isn't a building. it's It's a body. Church in the original language is ecclesia. It's those called out or ones separate. Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy... I write, Timothy, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So the church are those that are called out and separated. And sincerely, you might go, uh, called out, separated from where? From what? To, To what? Well, it's those called out of sinful humanity and into the holy body of Christ. Those called out of the world and separated from the world... ...to become a part of the church. Folks, you don't join the church of the living God. You're born into it. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, you must be born again, right? So the moment you're born again, not only does your part in God's story begin... ...you become a member of the body of Christ. Scripture teaches the body is made up of many members, though one. Now... The church, large seed church, or like the universal of body of Christ on the earth, right? Because the church just doesn't, isn't, doesn't exist just, in fact, the church in Chattanooga is larger than what's just happening here. But the large seed church, worldwide, this, this group of people that are filled with the spirit of God organizes itself into what we would call the local church, the small seed church. And they do what we are doing right this very minute here. And, of course, throughout the history of the church, the history not unlike the history of any man or any nation, ours included, contains some regrettable things church history does, but God works and he redeems and he reforms his church throughout the ages. If you're here and you're looking for the perfect church, don't join this one because you'll ruin it. You know what I mean? You're like, no, I don't. understand (laughs) The church which the gates of hell will not prevail against, is filled with flawed people. But isn't it wonderful that we serve a greater Savior than we are sinners? Amen? So the church, with all of her warts and faults, like all of us have, still marches on. And so I come back to this idea of church and its sort of nature momentarily to consider its function, like like. How do we see this thing that we're doing right now? Like, what happens at church? What is a church supposed to do? How do you view this? And just as there are great differences in humanity, God is He is very diverse, right? Take a look to the right, take a look to the left. I mean, we're very different. That is there on the surface. Not all local churches are the same. Some feel that the primary mission of the local church is evangelism. The church I grew up in had that emphasis, the evangelization of the world. So everything that that local church did was, was largely and essentially geared toward the idea to get the gospel to the lost. Wonderful. Multitudes of churches today led by some of the biggest names in the western church have essentially that mission they sort of see Matthew 28's great commission go therefore and make disciples of all nations as the goal but the the local of lo, uh, the mission of local churches like this is, is basically however sort of summed up like this like to the congregant to the one who comes the idea if 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 you if, if you see this right now is predominantly To evangelize the lost, the message to the church, to the to the saint is you do every get out there, go as far as you can, and get them here on Sunday. You catch them, we'll clean them. Like I'm the professional, I'll share the gospel. All you gotta do is get them here. Like get them here. It's not until the whole world hears, it's until the whole world's here you're like get them here and if you'll get them here then i'll do my job as the preacher teacher evangelist and we'll share the gospel and i thank god for churches with this mission with this emphasis within the body the body of christ needs them some churches feel called primarily to focus on social issues wonderful church downtown been here for decades longer than us new city fellowship their stated goal is racial reconciliation Fantastic. If that's what God has called you to do, you better obey him and keep in step with him and follow his lead. Wonderful. Here's who we are. Here's how we see it. We don't see the church's primary role or function practically right now as the evangelization of the world. No, we see that our, our primary purpose, gathered together right here, right now, is the exaltation of Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus we actually just sang the song the words we sang over and over again there at the end I'll read it from the old King James Revelation 4:11 thou art worthy O Lord by the way when you get to the book of Revelation chapter 4 it's a snapshot into the heavenly scene the 24 elders have fallen down they're casting their crowns before the throne where the where our Savior is right and they are worshiping as representatives of all of redeemed, Humanity, and this is their song. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, for your pleasure, they are. They exist because of you. It pleases you to allow them to exist, and they were created. Isaiah wrote hundreds of years earlier Everyone who is called by my name, anybody here called by the name of Christ? Christian? anybody else? It's making sure I'm not to change my message real quick. I'm like, okay, I mean, all right, stop. You know, we're gonna we'll we'll, we'll change this. Everyone who's called by name, whom I've created for my glory, I formed him. Yes, I've made him. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. And so we exist, church, like this. This is the way we see it predominantly and primarily. To listen to exalt Christ. At least once a week, we get the opportunity to gather together and say. Praise God, thank you that you found this slime at the bottom of the barrel, came to seek and save that which is lost, and at least once I can sing with everything I've got. All glory, all honor, all power, it all belongs to you. This is why, by the way, we do what we do. This is why we give so much space to this time of music and singing and song and prayer. It's not like we're offering you a concert before a TED Talk. That's not, what, that's not the idea. The idea is for the redeemed when they think about it. And we're all so squirrelish in our minds, you know. We need to be reminded that there was a Savior who came and found us when we were absolute wretches. And we need to be reminded of this as often as possible. So when we gather, we predominantly we exist for the, to bring him, to exalt him, if, if, listen, if we don't, the rocks will, right? The rocks will cry out. There's a, there's a Savior who's worthy. Now, this is where this is going to start to get a little, this is where the rub comes. This means that for us, this is our perspective, and I've already embraced others, church, this local gathering right now is for saints, not sinners. Now you're like, wait, but aren't we for sinners? Jesus loves people, lost people, doesn't he? Well, of course. I'll come back to this idea. Well, then we believe the local church's mission is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. I'd say it this way. It's exaltation, equipping, and then we will evangelize. And I'll tell you how in just a moment, you see. Now, you're in Ephesians 4, if you are, I'm just gonna, we're just going to read a little bit of a chunk together. I'm just going to slowly read what Paul writes to the Ephesian church, this local church. He's speaking of Jesus. The first three chapters of Ephesians are about all that God has done for us. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 is sort of our response, right? This is all that God's done. How thou, How then now shall we live? And so he begins to unpack it in chapter 4, verse 1, but we get down to... Verse 11, speaking of Jesus, and Paul writes, "In he, Jesus himself, he did, Jesus did. As he ascended, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till, how long? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that, like why, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up. Uh, in all things, into Him who is the head. By the way, the head of the church is Christ. Not the no. There's no. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus. I'm just a sheepdog down at the bottom of the barrel, grabbing the thing and rowing. He's the head. Christ is the head of the church. From whom, Christ, from the head, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth for the body for the edifying of itself, for the building of itself up in love. It's Paul's counsel to a local church on what those who were to lead the local church were to do. Notice, God gave certain gifted men to the church for the equipping, for the training, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the saints would sort of be mature and possess the kind of discernment that they could not only See darkness and discern heresy and lies, but also could could see the sort of cunning craftiness and the deceitful plotting of twisted men that would come against the church. But you have to know enough of the truth to be able to navigate that, to see that, right? That's why the pastor, teacher, and we'll talk about that in a second. We also see that the church, the local church, grows as every part does its share. This is a place you can roll up your sleeves and, and play. Apart. So as a pastor, teacher, called by God of a local church, listen, this is interesting, and you got to understand this, and this might be something that unlocks what it is that happens here for you. But when I come into a setting like this, I, I walk out, and I don't, I don't pay attention to the chairs that are empty. I'm not concerned about the chairs that are empty. I'm concerned about the chairs that are full. You're here. You're a saint. You came. You're God's kid. I'm, I'm called to train you. See, my, when I walk out because of the way the, the glasses that I look, the lens through which I see the church is not like, hey, y'all, get out there and get them in here. No, the lens through I which I like to say, there you are. I'm going to train you to go reach them out there, you see. That's very different. Very, very different. Pastor Chuck, the founder of our movement, came from a denominational setting where The denomination required that every month he'd have to turn in a report. How many salvations? How many baptisms? You can only imagine what it would be like to be a part of a church where every week you have to turn in, like, the widget report. Like, this is how many widgets we got this week. You know what I mean? Look, look, we got widgets. We're human beings. You know what I'm saying? How many, you know, it's like a notch on the belt. How many of you all baptized this week? Oh, okay. But you can imagine what that does. Because men are a little competitive, which is good. So you read the report. Well, if you're a pastor, you come out and you're like, Dad, gum chair's empty. I'm not going to win the prize this week. And so Pastor Chuck said, Here's what I started to do. Not feed the sheep. I started to beat the sheep. So you walk out. You guys are sheep. We're the sheep of his fold, people of his pasture, right? He'd come out and he'd go, So Jesus Christ, explain this to me, y'all. He didn't say y'all because he was from a different part of the country. We say that here, right? he'd look on at the church and say, so think about this. Christ hung bloody, naked, bruised. They thrust thorns on his head, pierced him in the side. You can't go next door with a casserole and get your friend here. And so he's starting to, literally he tells the story, which transformed her for the whole Calvary Chapel movement. He tells the story in one of these tirades where he's beating the sheep that the Holy Spirit says to him, I didn't tell you to beat the sheep. I told you to feed the sheep. You know what he did? He repented. He stopped and he says, I'm going to teach the Bible to the church. And guess what happened? The church started to explode and headquarters called up and said, can you tell us about the revival outreach you have? And what have you guys been doing over there? And he's like, you're not going to believe this, but we actually, I actually started to teach the Bible <laughs> to the people. And the people knew why they believed what they believed. And because it was so riveting and interesting, and people wanted to know the truth about a bunch of things, they started inviting their friends. They started sharing the gospel. We've had, this has been extraordinary. Now, I tell you this for this reason, and maybe it helps adjust the dial or at least clear up some of the confusion, because if our understanding and our view and our perspective of church is that its main function, like the main reason we get together like this right now is so that the lost can hear the gospel, then listen, I understand why folks struggle and will struggle with the message of this church because, listen, this is where it's really controversial. We aren't here right now to reach the lost, but to train the saved. Which means, folks... (laughs) here's what this happens to me periodically happens in various seasons and spurts and fits but because i'm here to train you about what it is that you're dealing with out there when i touch on the issues that you're facing out there that becomes offensive to somebody's here somebody here or at least potentially offensive so every now and then i'll get an email saying well that was it i'm gone i've had enough I work with X and such group of people. I know Jesus loves those people. You made a a reference to those people this week that I don't think was very loving, and I would have been horrified if I would invite one of the people that I'm working with to church because they would have got the impression that Jesus isn't loving. Folks, the only way I can say this without beginning to cry is that it isn't loving if I don't tell the truth. Charlie Kirk was here Thursday evening, and we had dinner afterwards, and Young Luca asked him a question about how can we engage those that are living sinful lifestyles. He's a very young man. He's curious. These are not the questions that I asked my dad. So Charlie said, let me tell you a true story about me. He says, I have a phobia of the dentist. Petrified. Will not go to the dentist. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm not going. A couple months ago, I began to have some real pain in the back of my the back of my mouth, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I'm eating ibuprofen like Skittles, and I've got that spray, and then I, and my tongue is starting to go like this, and I've got to speak for a week, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to be able to do this. So finally, the pain is so unbearable, he goes to the dentist. This dentist sits him down in a chair, takes some film, sits him down and says, listen, if I don't operate on you right now, in 40 hours, you'll be dead he had an infection back here, and it was going up the back of his jaw. It was going to go into his brain, and he'd be dead. Charlie Kirk says this, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> was it true? Did it save his life? Yeah. I grew up in Florida where we've got coral snakes. My dad taught me the difference between a coral snake and a king snake. You guys remember that? Well, you grew up in Tennessee. There are no coral snakes here. Praise God. That's why I moved here (laughs) now. Coral snake. And I learned this lesson when I was about ready to play with one. Dad comes out, backyard. Son, 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 son. Red, black, pet his back. Red, yellow, kill a fellow. I was getting ready to play with red and yellow. (laughs) You are dealing with serpents. And if I don't tell you how to recognize red-yellow, if we don't talk about these issues that really on the other end of it are going to strike and destroy you, destroy your family, divide your family, destroy your business, and if I don't bring these things out and we don't begin to talk about them here, which will be offensive to a bunch of people. I'm not doing my job. Yeah, right? I'm not doing my job. I grew up in the church in the 90s. And in the 90s, where I grew up, we had a real problem with cults. So our pastor would not only teach us about what the Bible has to say about Christ and his divinity and this, that, and the other, but he'd also teach us what these ideas, what the Seventh-day seventh Adventists, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they say this is what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe about Jesus. He teaches this is what Mormons believe about Jesus. Just going through the scriptures, he'd say, oh, by the way, this is a good refutation for a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, listen... Our church in Fort Lauderdale was so trained in the scriptures that Jehovah's Witness said, when you're knocking on doors, if you see a Calvary Chapel sticker, don't go in there. Those people so know their Bibles that they're actually scrambling the eggs of our elders. Don't do it. You know what's happened in the last few years? Everything that is like cultic and dark has now been brought underneath the umbrella of the political realm, and I'm not allowed to talk about it anymore. Because if I do, I've exchanged the gospel for like the American flag. I've turned into a patriot instead of a saint. And it is so, such a gross misunderstanding. So, can the left, uh, like, abortion isn't a moral issue that we can talk about? Because it's poly, it's political? The definition of marriage? And I could go on and on and on. Diversity, equity, inclusion, coral snake. Systemic racism, coral snake. Critical race theory, coral snake. Yeah. Why? It all comes from the same place. It's not about diversity. It's not about being fair. It's not about equity. When you're you're you're, you're at your office and you're like, hey, meet the new diversity, equity, and. Uh, Inclusivity ambassador. That's when you have a meeting with your boss and say, Get him out of here. Because before too long, we'll all be looking at one another and we'll all be thinking different things and they will destroy our company. They'll destroy our family. Black Lives Matter, Coral Snake, got nothing to do with Black Lives. We talked about that a couple years ago. (gasps) Be offended. I don't care. If you don't get stung and die, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. There's folks. It's a different day. We're dealing, but it's the same. De- it's the same devil. It is. This is a cult, and I could go so much further, which would be unwise right now. <laughs> we could talk about so much more. You go. Where does this come from? Where does it come from? So when we get together like this, you just need to. You think, like, oh, I understand. This is the place where we're actually. And folks, you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Good luck. Go find it somewhere else. I'm not gonna find it anywhere else. No one else is gonna take the scriptures, the truth, unpack them for you, and go, this is this is why that is is gonna be a that's gonna be a problem. Now, others look on and go, Well, we can't alienate the very people we're trying to reach. I'm not trying to reach them here. I want you to reach them. When they come and, when they come and meet me, I'm just gonna be a brash jerk. But you love them. You work with them. They know that Jesus isn't a jerk. When you meet me, you might think Jesus is a jerk in this setting. I get it. I don't know what the graphic looks like when Jesus has got like a whip in his hand, but I don't think it was like, oh, so cute. We've been the kind of church where you can not only be swept up into God's story by the gospel, I mean, we will share the gospel, of course, but you'll be equipped to play your part. And by the way, when Paul says that we're going to equip the church to do the works of ministry, <laughs> it's, it, that is not reserved for what happens in here. You're a mom, you're a dad, you're a dentist, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you're in the medical field, you're, you're running for office. You want to get involved in the school board because you're concerned about the Stuff that's being peddled to our children. Like, you're concerned about all this stuff. Listen, that is a work of ministry. All of it is. You relegate. The, well, you want to go reach a foreign people with the gospel in a different culture? Praise God, that's a work of ministry. You want to write for the praise God. You want to dedicate your life to educating. That is a work of ministry. And this is a place that you not only find your place in the story of God, we can train you to play your part well. We're committed to helping you find your place in God's story. We do that built upon the foundation of the early church you find in the book of Acts through the mission of connecting people to God. do that through teaching the word of God. Gatherings like this, connecting people to people, small groups, connecting people to mission. I think there are six trips globally stateside this year. It's what we've done for 22 years. So today after the storm of the last two years has sort of subsided, I sort of cast or recast our vision for you, and I had sort of this revelation: the last two years for the world, the last two years for the church has sort of been, for, and for one who's leading, has sort of been, sort of been like leading us through a, a tumultuous storm. And when you're leading, like you're trying to dodge the rocks and not be submerged, and it's like, can we get through without losing anybody? How many are the casualties going to be? And you're just hanging on the best you can. We've got through the waves. Sort of the COVID crisis has sort of settled down. Folks are not afraid. This past weekend, fourth, over 4,000 people came here to hear the gospel. So, like, that's, that's over. Then you look on and you go, we really haven't cast a lot of vision. We've just, we've just been trying to survive. Well, now that we've survived the storm, and by the grace of God, I think well and with momentum, folks, this is who we are. This is where we've come from. And this is where we're going. I hope you'll choose to stick around, engage, plug in, and watch and see what God can do. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. And we're here for you because of you. And you see us. You know right where we are. You know what we're facing. You know what's coming around the corner. We don't. We don't have to necessarily. That, you're the one who can see the end from the beginning. You see it all. The beginning from the end. We don't see it all. We can't see around the corner. But we can be prepared to have the kind of faith isn't perfect but growing and strong that would be sort of up for the challenge of the part that you want us to play in this divine thing that you're doing. Every Listen, Lord, we, you made us in your image to, to do something. Not to, to, for something specific, for something eternal, for something divine, for something for your glory and the good of others, and because you love us, you'll train us, you'll equip us. You don't call equipped people, but you will equip those that you call, and that's 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 just the little part that we play in the body. And I'm glad you've allowed us to play this part. This is our part. We're not the only part. We're not the best part. This is just our little place in the body of Christ. You let us have this space. Called me for this time, this church, for this community, this people, those that are gathered right now for, the, for something heavenly. Not necessarily easy, but heavenly. Something that matters, something that lasts, something that's like you for others and not just simply ourselves. This is who you are. So for those that sincerely are trying to navigate from Easter to now, is this the place that I'm supposed to be? And for those that have been here with us for a while, with the clarity of 22 years, we can say, it's so clear this is what God's been doing. Let's double down and keep going. Just give us the grace we need to glorify you, to honor you, to build up others, and help us, God, help others find their place in this beautiful, epic, unfolding story that you're still weaving through history now in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, hey, we'll close in song together. Love you so much. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Frank Ramsor. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Frank's ministry by visiting calvarychat.com. That's calvary, C-H-A-T-T dot com.